Okay, well, welcome to this episode of The Little Breakfast. It's been a while. Um, it's not been a sabbatical from eating breakfast or thinking, but uh, as we've been navigating this pandemic and uh, church has been re-engaging, it's been uh, harder to kind of take the time to cover these subjects that we've been looking at previously, but I'm delighted to say that um, we've got the pan out again and we're, we're back in the kitchen, as it were, to rekindle the Little Breakfast podcast. And I'm delighted to say that uh, joining me today uh, is Leon. And uh, welcome to the Little Breakfast, Leon. Thank you very much, Clive. It's, uh, <laughs> it's an honor to be here. <laughs> it's great to have you. And we are going to start with the tradition that we do on the Little Breakfast podcast by asking about breakfast. Uh, so I want to ask you, uh, Leon, what is your average day breakfast? What does it look like when you wake up in the morning and you go for that breakfast? What do you eat? What do I eat? Um, so that is a pretty standard every day, um, at least during weekdays. It's uh, four slices of bread, uh, one or two with cheese, Dutch cheese, the Gouda cheese, um, or in Dutch we say Gouda. And um, one or two with jam, probably strawberry or raspberry. Uh, I don't mind other flavors, but you know the rest of the family prefers the red ones. And then um, maybe one or two with uh, honey or peanut butter. And then a glass oh. of water, several glasses of water. Wow. And, uh, and that's my breakfast. <laughs> so you're going, you, you, you're mixing up, you've got the carbs on the go and you're mixing some sweet and some sour there, some sweet and savory going on. Um, Absolutely. Actually, you've reminded me, as you're talking about a Dutch breakfast, uh, for a couple of years in my life when I was younger, I lived in Rotterdam. And I remember very vaguely as a child having bread and these, what we would call hundreds of thousands in, in this country. Uh, what's the name of it in, in, in Dutch? The, uh, the Hagelslag. So they're basically like brown sprinkles that you yeah, put yeah. on. It's yeah. like a massive sugar high, yeah? <laughs> and a lot of children, a lot of children would do it and spread it on your bread. So you just reminded yeah. me with your bread fest breakfast of that moment. So uh, well, do you ever go. partake? Do you ever partake in any of those? I well, um, any, any time that we have visitors from Belgium or the Netherlands, we ask them to import that because it's uh, hard <laughs> to get here. And um, yeah, so so that's that's in the weekends actually because it's oh, so yeah. so valuable, it's <laughs> so <Yeah>. precious, it's <laughs> so rare treat. to have it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's very good. That's very good. Yeah. So um, if you were to able able to have, you know, whatever breakfast you wanted, uh, what would your favourite breakfast be? Yeah. So either it would be kind of a, a French breakfast with, with croissants and, and a pain du chocolat and, and all of that. But actually, I think it would be um, um, cereals, the, the crusty, the, like the, the, the thick uh, things. And um, with yogurt, and that's important, that is yogurt, and then fresh fruit and um, a little bit of honey, probably. Right. That's, that's my favorite. And then and then uh, to go with that, uh, probably some fresh juice, um, a tropical flavor, mango, maybe yeah. orange juice, if, if that's not available, um, and definitely coffee. Sounds like a sort of buffet breakfast, kind of a bit of this and a bit of that. Oh, no, no, no. You put it all in, in one plate. You put it all in one plate, okay? Yeah. So Except for the drinks, of course. <laughs> <laughs> what 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 would be your worst breakfast? What would be the thing that you wouldn't want to eat? So I'm a big fan of this this crustly of the cereals kind of thing, but don't put it with milk. 
It, it no? has to be yogurt. So, so milk just ruins it for me. It absolutely really? ruins it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> which is a problem at any conference because it's always it always goes with milk. But for me, yeah, it has yeah. To be <laughs> wow, that, that that could be controversial for some people. Yeah, like not using milk with cereal. So, I know, I know. Yeah, mm. very controversial. But that's uh, that's me. And the other thing that I really can't get used to is is uh, if you have a nice Scottish breakfast and, and the, the black pudding is just. I, I can't get used to the black pudding for breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> I quite like black pudding. I have to say it's it's supposed really? to be very it's supposed to be a superfood, apparently. It's supposed to be a superfood. It's yeah. I, but uh, I don't Easter, doubt that. I, I, I understand why a number of people wouldn't like it, especially when you know what's in it, but we're not going into too much detail on that. So. <laughs> and and so, I don't mind those kind of stories. It's just the taste of it that yeah. No. Yeah, so <laughs> So you are based in Aberdeen and uh, you teach at Aberdeen University. Um, what, do you want to just tell us actually your, your full name and what you teach at Aberdeen University? My, my full name. My full name yeah. is uh, Armand Leon van Ommen. <laughs> I'm a lecturer <laughs> in practical theology. So, uh, yeah, practical theology would be my domain um, of teaching and research. Uh, within practical theology, um, I specialize in liturgy and worship. Okay. And then in autism or more broadly disability uh, theology. In, uh, but I'm teaching also uh, a course on pastoral care, uh, which is one of the, the highlights for me uh, to teach that one. Um, I'm teaching together with a colleague uh, a course called Theology in a Divided World. So talking about yeah, conflict, uh, reconciliation, those kind of things. So, right. yeah. so there's, yeah, so that you use specifically practical theology, which covers a few things and particularly disability and looking at autism. Um, so in terms of autism and theology, uh, when I studied uh, theology a number of years ago, that's not two things that I would have um, put together. Uh, so how does that work? How does that sort of fusion of two things come together? What does that look like? How does it work? What does it look like? So, so you're right. This is a very, very recent field. So I think the first serious publications came out like 2009, 2010, that, that kind of... Uh, so, so we are talking about a very young field. So that's why it's not a standard part of the theological curriculum. Um, what does it look like when it comes together? I, I think that the idea is that um, if, if theology studies God's worlds, uh, then, then autism is part of that. And if you don't study that, then it goes... Um, it is silenced, as it were, uh, and 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 you get the kind of marginalization that people with disabilities, people with autism, other people experience a lot, and therefore the specific attention to autism brings autism back into the conversation, as it were. But also, you can start to think theologically about autism. So, what does it mean to have autism in in, in church? Um, to to have autistic members as the body of Christ um, and, and those kind of questions, but also the experience that the autistic experience is different from the non-autistic experience, uh, but equally valid. And so, it's a, so for example, the worship service would be experienced quite differently, uh, probably for an autistic person, or at least in, in some respects. And for me, specializing in liturgy and worship, that becomes really interesting to say, okay, so, so how do you experience that? How do you understand God through worship? How do you encounter God through worship? Mm. And what can we learn as a body of Christ from that experience? Mm. Oh, and 
and and then also addressing the challenges. I mean, um, if if the music is too light, I mean, there, there's there's enough research that that has found that people with disabilities in general, and then people with autism uh, specifically, uh, have have been excluded from church in in the sense that they tend not to attend church as much as as families without autism or disabilities. And so there is a real issue. Apparently, apparently, they don't feel welcome. Um, now, why is that? And and those are real theological questions for us, for the church, and and for us in the academy um, serving the church mm. to think about. So, I guess in making this podcast, as far as uh, podcasts that are out there, there's probably not a whole load of podcasts on thinking about autism in the church. There's probably not a lot of uh, universities, I would imagine, uh, that have a centre for autism and theology. And when when I came across this, um, having a personal interest in autism and the church, I was quite amazed that there's the centre for autism and theology. You must be pretty unique in that regard. Am I right in thinking that? You're absolutely right. (laughs) Yeah, um, so... Yeah, without wanting to boast about that, but that, that is, I, I think we, our Centre for, for Autism and Theology is unique internationally. Um, what, what you do have is you have uh, disability ministries, you have departments looking at disability theology, uh, that is a bit more well-known, but specifically the focus on, on autism, that is that is pretty unique, I would dare to say that, yeah. yeah. And, and how did that come about? Like, so... You know, you don't just wake up one morning, or maybe maybe some people do, and say, "Okay, I think it's a good idea if we start a, a center for autism and theology." Like, what what was the sort of conversations or the catalyst that yeah. enabled that to come about? Yeah, I mean, the, the credits for that idea go to my colleague Grant McCaskill, um, and and I think he's been guesting your in your big breakfast, and um, yeah. so he he came with that idea. But that is, uh, I mean. I don't know how he got the idea, probably not by waking up one morning and saying this is a good idea, as you say. But it's embedded in, in the work that we do in our Department of Theology here in the, or Department of Divinity here in Aberdeen, where um, people like John Swinton, Brian Brock, um, for years have been doing disability theology. And I mean, we need to be careful because there's no straightforward link between disability and autism necessarily, I think. So some, some autistic people wouldn't like to be called disabled and others more obviously are probably whatever disabled means but that's a different question but so there is a lot of work going on in our department here in Aberdeen uh, around disability and then yeah I mean sometimes it's, it's coincidental or, or god given uh, whatever your view on that is uh, that, that there are certain people or several people interested in that and so it it became clear that uh, John Swinton, Brian Brock, Grant McCaskill, and I, all four of us had a, a specific interest in autism, and uh, specifically, and, and for some of that, that's that with personal connection. And, well, then you start thinking, like, well, wait a sec, if, if there is four people interested in this, and with, with the expertise already present in the, in the divinity departments in terms of yeah. disability theology, then there is something that we might, you know, do and and so in 2018, Grant uh, launched that center with with the the three others that I just mentioned um, uh, on board from the beginning, 
And yeah, since then we've tried to develop the center and uh, and, and trying to find out what, what is what is our task. If we are unique, then how can we serve the church? How can we serve uh, the theological academy, but also the the wider academy? Uh, academy. How can we, from a theological point of view, weigh in on some debates in, in the wider autism academic community? I guess. Uh, so yeah. So that's the, that's the story of, of how it started, I think. And then and then you, you see, I think what, why we go on with it and, and uh, we put quite some some energy and time into this is because we see that it resonates with people. So it's it's really interesting if you look at our mailing list. Uh, people can subscribe to our mailing mailing list, and, and you go you don't get spammed. You just get you know your your update. If you look at that mailing list, I'd say probably about. 40% is academics interested in this and 60% just other people. Um, and so yeah. there, there's this mixture of academy and church, I would say, or faith organizations. Yeah. And, and, and that that kind of, that overlap or, or that connection between the two. And I, I believe that's very, very important. And that's what as center we try to do. Yeah. Well, that, that's really interesting. And we will pick up a little bit on that a bit later on as to, I guess, how you, know, you you resource people and what that might look like. Um, but I do think, I do personally think it, it is very unique and, and I'm very interested that it exists, as you say, between academic research and then looking at how that looks, for instance, in the local church. Um, I think we have a whole load of work to do and a whole load of areas to explore. And I think it's probably fair to say um, that, that none of us are experts in that sense, that none of us have, have arrived because there's so much learning, isn't there, that needs to go yeah. on within society about actually what autism is and um, what does it look like to um, you know, be autistic? What, is it, what does it look like in terms of church and society? And we're all, we're all, we've got a whole load of learning um, going mm -hmm. on. I mean, maybe that leads me to 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 ask the question. You know, maybe some people are, are watching this, and some people are autistic themselves. Some people are um, thinking to themselves, you know, okay, I'd like to help people that I know um, uh, who are autistic. Other people are thinking, actually, what on earth even is autism? Uh, mm -hmm. So maybe you could you could explain. Uh, I know yeah. this is maybe not an absolute definitive answer here. I'm not like putting you on the spot and holding yeah. you to account for that. But but in just in terms of your own research, your own understanding, could you explain what, what autism is to those who are yeah, listening no, that, or watching? That, that, that's a very, very good question. And indeed, uh, sometimes you can wonder what on earth is this? Um, yeah. I mean, there is one saying in the autism community, um, if you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. And, and to a certain extent, that is true. Like, like every, mm -hmm. every person is so unique. We speak about an autism spectrum. So uh, it, it's autism expresses itself very, very differently in different people. At the same time, there's also uh, some voices would push back against that kind of uh, cliche slogan, as it were, um, because, you know, for some autistic, autistic I think autism is, is a particular way of being in the world. Let me put yeah that as the kind of a bottom line um uh well not definition perhaps but so there are autistic people who who feel different all their life and certainly when they are not diagnosed then then that becomes a real question for many people like you know why why 
do I not seem to blend in as well as some other kids mm. at school? Or uh, why, yeah. why do I struggle with this? Or and, and, and why am I good at maths and, and nobody else seems to just understand what I understand in one minute? And, and they need 45 minutes of, of lecture from the teacher, you know? So there's all kinds of, of, of different ways. And I mean, those are stereotypes maybe, but they're mm. stereotypes for a reason because there is an element of truth. But again, there's difference as well. But mm. so... One thing is to stress the, the diversity. On the other hand, people like that are sometimes really helped when they get a diagnosis and, and or, or diagnose themselves as autistic um, as a kind of an identity marker almost. Like, oh, mm. I, I finally uh, get myself and, and hopefully others get me be- a little bit better as well if I identify like that. So mm. on the one hand, we need to acknowledge that diversity. On the other hand, well... If, if it's meaningful to speak about autism, there must be some kind of common denominator, as it were. And so I think that starts with, with the different way of being in the world. And then uh, that, that um, expresses itself very often in terms of sensory uh, processing. So autistic people tend to be um, hyper or hyposensitive, so oversensitive or undersensitive to certain sensory input, for example, uh, sound um, can be really off-putting. If, if you go to church and there's this loud worship band, uh, the loudness can be a problem. But also, and, and in my research, I've seen that actually that, that stereotype, you need to break that down a little bit because it's more fine-grained. I've heard people say that, you know, loudness is not necessarily the problem, but whenever the sound mixing is wrong, then that is really, that just throws me in and I can't worship anymore because yeah. that is just, you know, I'm, I'm just so upset by, by you know, or, or, you know, the violin is out of tune or the flute or whatever instrument. Yeah. Um, those, those are the things that, that, that are, that can be very upsetting. Um, touch is another example that can be really difficult for people. So if you have a church where where you you have the kind of the sharing of the peace, like you have, for example, in Roman Catholic, Anglican churches, um, and you go around shaking hands, well, that can be excruciating for some people because yeah. there's all kinds of issues um, surrounding that, uh, or, or yeah, all kinds of issues with that practice. I, I can go into more detail, but I'm, I'm trying to. Get back yeah. to your question what is autism so so that sensory input the sensory processing um that, that can be a real issue um it, it's a way of thinking very often very precise thinking very logical thinking and so i've i've had people that i interviewed say to me well you know sermons can be just so off-putting when, when the minister doesn't do their homework and and it's just flawed or or just logically incoherent and Someone told me, you know, they really need to do a better job. Teach me better. We deserve more, you know. And and I think that is um, that's maybe even a gift to the church that that some people can just call that out and say, well, you know, you, you can't gloss off those kind of inconsistencies and you can't be sloppy in your your preparation. And uh, and so so it's the sensory processing. It's it's um, uh, particular ways of thinking. Um, I mean, a metaphor that's often used is, is the, the way your brain is wired. That's a metaphor and, and it goes just only so far, but maybe it's helpful. Yeah. Um, and, and, then, and then a third third common denominator is that social interaction can be a bit more difficult or can be maybe, maybe better to say it, it, it works differently for an autistic person very often. So the, the stereotypical views are that, that um, 
autistic people have difficulties reading your mind, uh, your your face. So so nonverbal communication becomes more difficult. They're very often um, uh, more straightforward. Uh, so they just tell their mind, having less decorum, as someone's told me. Um, and that's fine for them. In but it can be rude for some for a non-autistic person. It can can come across as rude, whereas that is not the intention at all. It's just you know, you're asking me this question, I'm giving this answer because that's what we asked for. And <laughs> if you didn't want to hear that, then well, maybe yeah, you should yeah. ask a different question, you know? And so, um, so well, I actually, think those are... on that point, if I could interject on that point, I think that's a very interesting point you make because I think if you flip that, um, what people might term neurotypical, whether that's a term we can use or not, um, people tend to not sell things straight you know so create different sort of nuances and maybe not give the direct answer because it might affect somebody offend somebody or it might mean that this is said or that is said so it's interesting when you when you i think con contrast the two things that that actually if somebody who's autistic says something straight that actually in some ways that can be quite refreshing because we tend to sort of that the english expression beat around the bush you know and and that's not always helpful, is it? So we can see these kind of contrasting nuances, I think. Yeah, and therefore I think we, um, I mean, very often the, the, the autism discourse is, is framed in, uh, in in terms of, you know, um, a disorder or deficit. And, and with the sense here in Aberdeen, we, we deliberately try to steer away from that kind of conversation. That's also why, I mean, I could have answered your question quite straightforwardly by, by, by citing the DSM, uh, you know, the, the Bible of the psychiatrist and, and say, well, these are the three characterizations. And what I just said is not far off, but I framed it quite differently than, than the DSM or the ICD would do. Um, so the DSM is Diagnostic and, and uh, Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders and ICD is the International Classification of Disorders or Diseases. Uh, but then, then immediately you're you're in 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 the kind of a discourse that says, well, you know, if you're autistic, then then you're some it's either a disease or it's a mental disorder. Yeah, I'm, I'm not yeah. sure about that. And, and many people in the autistic community yeah. would push back hard against that, and, and rightly so, I think. Yeah. Um, without wanting to negate uh, the or ignore the, the challenges that it can bring. But the challenge is, I think this is what we need to think about as church and, and, and more broadly as society as well. Like if, if it brings challenges, then what are the challenges? So if to go back to that, to that example of the, the kind of the straightforward communication, well, that can be a challenge because you might lose some friends, but is that the, the fault yeah. of the autistic person or is that actually because, well, the fault, whatever, uh, of of the other person, the non-autistic person who just can't cope with, yeah. with direct answers. So I think that that's a conversation that we need to have. Yeah. No, that's helpful. So just thinking through, um, in terms of church, then you've explained to us, you know, kind of what autism can look like. And obviously we recognize it's a spectrum, but very different. I mean, you know, sort of quite stereotypically people can think that a male person with autism is going to be very good at uh, science and engineering and mathematics and, um, and sometimes less think about women with autism and and the the different kind of gifts and creativity that, that go there and and it, and it isn't this and it isn't that that's why we call it a spectrum and as you rightly say there's a range there um, but when it comes to faith 
particularly faith in Jesus, and it comes to being part of a Christian community, a church, you know, what what are some of the, the challenges on the back of what you've just described as, as what autism is for somebody who is autistic in a church context? What are some of the challenges and also some of the opportunities that, that are there? Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I think because autism is, 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 is a particular way of being in the world, but that is a way of being in the world that is not the mainstream uh, being way of being in the world. What I'm, what I'm trying to get at here is that in church we operate in with frameworks of, of what we think is normal, and, and sometimes that's called like normalcy, like a cult of normalcy. Even like we protect our own values, the way we are doing things, in, and that works for the majority of the people. Um, and you know the, the subtle cues and uh, clues uh, or cues in in in, in interaction the. The way we think music should be, um, the jokes or the sharing of the piece, the touch, uh, all of that, or, or the use of incense in, in particular communities or whatever. And usually communities are quite protective of their way of being and their way of doing things. Um, I mean, just try to, I mean, this, this is a joke amongst uh, liturgists, just, just just try to change the hymn book and, and you've got a war in church. Now, why, why is that? There's nothing biblical about that. Nothing. It's, it's just, this, this is what we've always done. And, and this is what we are attached to somehow. And, and, and yeah. that's, that's why you can't change that. Now, if, if your way of being in the world and experiencing the world and experience all that sensory input, if, if that is different from that majority view and the majority way of being in the world, then, then that is, I mean, you're, you're, the community has a head start and, and you're just lagging behind from the very beginning, even before you've entered the church. And so that is one of the challenges, I think. I think that's one of the reasons why there are fewer people with autism and, and families with autism in church than, than you would expect if you just look at the, at the statistics. Um, in society and so I think one of the challenges is is, is is really negotiating and navigating that that space of the community and if you have communities that are simply not aware of it in, in most communities aren't I would there I would think then that's a problem and so you need to work hard if you want to be part of the community now there is there's a lot of people that want to be part of the community and so they do work hard in and then I really hope that communities would appreciate that and, and listen to their autistic uh, members. And then that, gave, that, gives up, and that gives opportunities. I mean, um, if, you know, the opportunity is for autistic people to, to call out the preacher and say, you need to teach us better, you know? This, that's an opportunity for the church, actually, to go deeper in their faith with, and, and, and their being with God. Um, to, and it's not, it's not about perfectionism. That, that's not what I'm talking about. It's, I mean, it would be great if the sound mix, mixing was perfect, but actually that's not what it's about. Um, but it is about things that can be really off-putting. And sometimes small changes can make a massive difference for someone. And so I think the presence of, I mean, there, there's a lot of, lot of opportunities. I think if, if you think about diversity, if you, if you think about um, that, that, that famous metaphor of the body of Christ, 
in, in, you know, you've got the hands, you've got the feet and, and you've got the stomach and you've got the little toe and the big toe and, and all of that, you know, yeah. that's, that's diversity. And autism brings diversity into the community. And there's a lot of other things that bring diversity. I mean, we need to talk about dyslexia. We need to talk about ADHD. We need to talk about depression. We need, there's a lot of, of ways of being in the world um that bring diversity and diversity is a good thing i mean that's the starting point of course there can be diversity as a bad thing but the starting point is a good thing and we can learn from each other if if you look at a team if you want to tackle a problem you need a team with different expertise in order to tackle a problem in church it's not different If, if you want to be a team if you want to be the body of christ then that diversity is not a thing that to get rid of and we shouldn't overcome autism somehow or some you know yeah. it's actually enriching the community absolutely i mean i wonder um subsidiary thoughts and maybe a question that might formulate in my head as i speak is yeah i suppose a question that that from what you're saying that we should be asking ourselves and be challenged by is, is at a very base theological level, is what does it mean to be human? And I think that one of the things that disability, neurodiversity challenges me on is, you know, what is my perception of being human? And I think that if we live in the West, if we live in a kind of middle-class area, if we've been educated, we are being educated, we're all constantly being educated, but the this perception that sort of okay to be a human is this to be a christian is this and this is how the human who's a christian will operate in this setting in this community and i i guess i constantly have to be challenged about that myself you know thinking about okay these are my preferences or these are my interests but if you take you know philippians 2 about um preferring the other you know loving the other as as christ has done for us then we need to really pastorally take seriously what that looks like and i think there's a sort of tendency that we tend to sort of gravitate to that to which we think is human or defines what it means to be human and therefore i'll operate in that kind of sphere of living as opposed to hold on a minute what is what is the spectrum of what it means to be human and how do we actually understand somebody who is different to me and has different preferences to me? And I think one of the great challenges, <laughs> I heard it said by um, about community by a, a pastor in America called Matt Chandler. He says, you know, essentially community is both awesome and awful at the same time. It's awesome and awful at the same time because it's awesome. Uh, we're gathered together. But it's also awful because people are not like us, right? So we we kind of fight against that. But I think it's it's recognizing how does it how does it all work, you know? In this, as you say, as the body, how does it work? But I just wondered, just back to that subsidiary question, you know, is it something about our understanding of being human that affects our understanding of what is to be autistic or neurodiversity within a church? Yeah, I think that that's a very good point. Um, but, well. You can think about it this way. If if you imagine church, you imagine who is the who's your ideal worshiper. Yeah. Then probably that is that is a person who's um or or, or maybe slightly differently. Who, who gets who gets the points? 
in the church yeah. who earns most points. And it's probably the person who's um, a little bit extra fair, you know, socially very, very adept and, and, mm-hmm. and you know, uh, outgoing, uh, always nice to talk to, always the friendly smile. Um, probably he or she will, probably he feels good and, um, you know, has always the smile, Sunday best. Um, it's someone who's intellectual, uh, you know, can can understand a lot. Probably someone who's who's got a lot of energy in order to be on on at least one or two rotas in church, uh, because that's how in in church you earn points. I'm, I'm pretty cynical here, of course, um, but this is what at least my observation in churches is that 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 is what what gets you points. But if, if you think about the ideal worshiper, you're probably not going to think about a um, say a young boy sitting in the back of the church or even in, in a different room because he cannot cope with, with the sensory input or, or just the crowdedness of, of the place uh, and all the people. Mm. Um, and, and maybe he's rocking back and forth, uh, maybe fidgeting with someone or uh, something. Uh, and I'm, I'm not trying to put up a stereotypical autistic person here, but those people do exist. And, and I, I have an inkling that that is not our image when we think about the ideal worshiper yeah. and so that but that says something about what we think what means to be human what means to yeah. be a worshiper and and who gets most points and i mean uh the whole bible turns that upside down and says well you know um yeah. i mean jesus habitually hung out with the with the people yeah. at the margins of society and and yeah. probably with non-ideal worshipers i mean the ideal worshipers of his time were, were the pharisees and the sadducees and you know, yeah. the, the big guys, and, and well, he was pretty critical of them. Uh, and instead, he, yeah. he goes to, yeah, people who, who do not belong, belong and, and who are the outcasts of society. So that, that definitely needs to change what we think about worship. And just to add to that is, I, I think when we, when we think about faith, in, uh, we very often... I dare say we have a quite intellectual understanding of what that is. You need to understand what faith is and you need mm. to understand the creeds and the dogmas and you need to understand this and that. And then when you understand that, you can get baptized or confirmed or whatever tradition you are in. Um, well, I'm not sure whether that's biblical and I'm not sure whether that's the best way of thinking what, what a human being is. I mean, that, that's, that's an enlightenment model that we have in the west of, of what it means to be human but yeah we, we need to challenge that definitely sorry sorry Clive, does does that answer your question or uh, no no it does and it leads me on to another question uh which was relating i guess to sort of what some of christian community looks like in terms of fellowship mm-hmm. and we've already you've already been touching on that i mean i think you know we can sort of we can have before us i think that quite profound picture of if somebody is, for instance, unable to speak, unable to sing, and they're sitting at the back of the church, I think wrongfully we do attribute worth to what can you contribute, you know, value to well, what are you bringing, you know, to the table, and of course, you know, I am not naive as a pastor. If church is going to happen, we have to have the body function in different parts. But we are different parts. We're not all the same parts. So we can't expect that everyone will be doing exactly the same thing or contributing in the same way. 
But I, I do think there's a sort of, I think it's incredibly challenging. And we, we've had a conversation before about this, previous to this podcast and other times when we've spoken about intellect. And I think if we're interested in academic work and intellect, just thinking and reading and studying, it's it's actually just, it is quite a profound challenge as to what faith looks like when somebody doesn't have um, the ability to process things in a way that that others would, you know, and and I think I think the other challenge. So, the, so there's there's kind of intellect and there's there's, there's certain uh, levels of understanding, but I think the other challenge is, is in terms of fellowship. What does fellowship look like? And really helpfully um, in your colleague's book, uh, Autism and the Church, Grant McCaskill, uh, I was reading in this section, and I just want to read a little bit of it and then ask you a question on the back of that. Um, he talks about um, regarding the church. It means that we need to be repentant of our tendency to identify Christian love and unity with the performance of certain social expectations and need to reevaluate our responses to the simplicity of communication that is often associated with autism. It means, in short, allowing the presence of autism within the church to drive us to ask again, what should living truthfully and lovely, lovingly in the body of Christ actually look like? And I think that's that's maybe at the heart of kind of what we're saying here, isn't it? What, you know, what is it, that question again, is it, what should living truthfully and lovingly in the body of Christ actually look like? If it, and as we talk about the body, have you got any thoughts on that? No, I, I guess I do. Um... I think in, if, if if you look at church, if if you look at what the the, the church community is, or ideally is, um, as the body of Christ, or or, or the temple, um, uh, or you know, there's different different images. There's always the the the, um, the identity of the Christians is found in Christ. I think that's the basic starting point when we talk about these things. So our identity is not first autistic or non-autistic even. I mean, even though we talk about autism here, that's, that's not the first thing in the body of Christ that we're talking about or what, what the first identity marker is. The first identity marker is that we are in Christ, that in Christ language that is used throughout the New Testament, certainly by, or mostly by by, by Paul. But um, but think about uh, an image like, like branch in the vines, the vine and the branches. Um, it's it's that, that, that intimate, the intimacy with Christ and, and therefore with God, I think that is where we find our identity. And then our identity is, first of all, a, a beloved a beloved child of God. I think that that's, that's where it all starts. Now, if, it, if, if that is where it starts, then that does something to what a community looks like. I mean, that, that answers, I think that's the basic answer even. Um, because then then you can then say with, with uh, the Apostle Paul in Galatians 3, verse 28, if we are all in Christ, then there is no slave or free or um, uh, Greek or Jew or, you know, all of those distinctions. And we can add disabled or non-disabled, autistic or non-autistic. We can add that to the list. And, because, and it's not because those distinctions don't matter. They do matter at a certain level. And... and I don't think anywhere in the Bible you will you will find that those distinctions are um, kind of um, 
eradicate to some point. Mm. That's not the right word. Uh, like like um, done away with. They're still mm. there, but that's not our identity in Christ. In Christ, our identity is as beloved child of God. And then if I am that, if you were that, and the autistic person there is that as well, we're at, mm. at exactly the same level. And so yeah. the, the the playing field is, is much more level when we start there instead of um, what, what Grant is referring there, I think, to is, is, is you know, um, if we look like each other, that, that is the more social capital you have, that, that you know, the, 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 the more social capital you have, the easier you make relationships. And, and then people, probably autistic people, people with disabilities are, have maybe less social capital and, and can less buy less recognition, as it were, and less relationships in, in, in that yeah. sense. If that does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think I don't know how much work you or Grant or others in the Center for Autism and Theology have, have looked at, but <laughs> as you're speaking, it, it, it's a challenge to some of even the most basic sacraments or the key sacraments within the church. So if we think about baptism, if we think about communion, you know, what does that look like for somebody who on a, on one level doesn't fully understand that, you know, um, what does it look like to be part of that community when you might have sensory issues? Let's talk about uh, full immersion baptism. The person doesn't want to, doesn't like that for a number of sensory reasons. I'm not giving answers here. I'm just like, <laughs> it was throwing a few yeah. things out there. Answers on a postcard or answers to the little breakfast. But I mean, it just raises lots of questions, doesn't it? Like as to, okay, you're going to become a member. You need to be able to answer these questions. So, you know, Trends, uh, sorry, no. certainly denominations of the church. You, know, you understand the full, you know, Westminster Catechism. You know, I mean, these are just not possibilities for some people. Yeah, yeah and but but the the fact that we think that as a problem says something about what we think faith is, and 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 that goes back to that intellectual understanding. But yeah, if we start with God who created the world and who created you and me and everyone else, um. Do we really think that God is dependent on our intellect in order to have a relationship with us? I didn't think so. And so if if the, <laughs> the maker knows what the maker has made and, and is able to connect to that. And so yeah. I, I think if we if we uh, make access to the sacraments dependent on intellect or even sensory processing, then then we underestimate. It's the Holy Spirit, big time. Yeah, that's very true. That's very true. Because that is really, the Holy Spirit is the one who enables us to have the gift of faith in the first place. Exactly, exactly. I mean, if you think about the text in uh, Romans 8, that that the Spirit cries out with with our own cries, and and if we don't know how to pray, the Spirit prays for us, then then it says, well, even the most intellectual person doesn't always know what to pray. So that whole spirituality relationship with God or or whatever metaphor you want to to use there for, for engaging with God doesn't depend on our intellect. It doesn't depend on... Uh, human-made barriers or, or you know, um, excess yeah. um, requirements. 
in order to relate to God and and, and be a child of God. So, and, but that also, and, and, and the second thing I think then theologically what we need to say is that the invitation comes from God. It's not us doing the work and, you know, it all depends on us in order to access that relationship with God. It's, it's God who invites us into a relationship with him. Mm. I think that is a completely different starting point. And then mm. God is big enough to and, and and able enough to engage with us and meet us where we are. Yeah. However and whoever we are. I think that's a really good example of how disability, how neurodiversity actually highlights some assumptions that we can have to which we call faith. So for instance, if I understand this and I believe that and I do that in that way, then I am a Christian and I have faith because I have these certain capacities. But I think the challenge of uh, not being able to understand that highlights exactly, as you said, it's actually a work of the Holy Spirit. You know, so actually, but I think quite quickly we can sort of forget that because actually as we obtain knowledge, as we know more of the Bible, as we see that living out in community, then we can negate the work of the Spirit and the performative acts of the Spirit in our lives. And we are, in many ways, simply told, don't live by the flesh, live by the Spirit. You know, and we're constantly referred back to that, aren't we? But, the, you know, the question we should be asking ourselves, well, what does that look like? What does it look like to live by the Spirit? What does it look like to be transformed by the Spirit? Um, and I think that's a constant uh, constant prayer, really, that we should have in our life, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. So just, just kind of moving things towards a close then. Um, we've thought about quite a number of things. In terms of the two things sort of related, really, you teach... So, so having said all that about intellect, one might say, or others might say, well, hold on a minute. So how come this guy's a lecturer at a university? How come this university has set up this centre for autism and theology? Isn't that a bit of a kind of oxymoron? Um, but you teach a postgrad diploma in uh, disability and theology, I mean, yeah. I mean, how do you answer some of those potential objections, and also why are you doing it? Why are you doing it then? Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, yeah. I, I mean, there is definitely an irony in talking about that intellect doesn't matter that much, and then the being in an institution where intellect is is the highest value, of course. Um, and, and I'm very aware of that tension, and, and it's um, yeah. it's a tension that as a, as a, as an academic or professional theologian, I, I need to live with, and, and I do live with, and, and it's a question mm. that I ask myself. Um, regularly um <laughs> and um but i i do think that the the church needs academy and academy needs the church uh, but i it's it's one of the reasons um why i and, and i'm just speaking for myself here as a theologian i i can't imagine myself doing theology that does not matter to the church mm. or to society or to the world um that i i i believe that as academy we are called to serve the church or the kingdom of god more broadly and um, for me, therefore, therefore, there is there is not necessarily a um, a contrast between speaking about these things that we've just speak, uh, spoken about, and even intellect, and then do the intellectual work. I think the academy has its own place in in, in thinking through these questions, and and hopefully uh, through podcasts like 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 yours, um, hopefully give something back yeah. to the church and. 
and hopefully uh, ha- have a role in in helping the church think through these issues. And and therefore, I think that's what while we can do what we do. If, I hope that's an answer, Clive. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, and so, so what we do with this uh, postgraduate diploma? Um, we've got four courses. Uh, so one looks at uh, topics, issues in in uh, disability theology, very contemporary issues. Uh, what does it stake? What are the big issues to talk about? Uh, then another one in. Uh, the second course is, is uh, called Disability Reflective Practices in Context. So there we ask students to analyze an organization, whether that's a church or a faith organization or another organization, um, and analyze the, the values that they have when it comes to disability. Um, what, what are the values? What are the norms? Uh, how do they practice that? How do they live that? And so get that, yeah, um, what, what you learn in the courses then apply, as it were, in, in, in a context, but also let the context then feedback to to uh, the yeah. academy and, and to the course and, and the theology that we are doing. And then a third course about historical texts that, that deal with disability, um, which is a little bit of an anachronism, maybe um, in, in terms of, well, disability is, the, the way we talk about disabilities is quite recent. Um, but nevertheless, in the Christian tradition, all, all kinds of things have been said that are relevant to that discussion. So that is the third course that we do. And then the fourth course is uh, on disability theology and scripture. So how, how can we interpret scripture? Um, and what does scripture say about disability? But also from a disability perspective, how can we read the Bible? Uh, and so again, that going back and forth. Uh, that's that's what we're trying to do with that program. So yeah, it's a, yeah. it's it's a new program. The first course has just started, and uh, it's it's really exciting. Uh, to, to yeah, see what's yeah. going to happen. Yeah. No, I I think I mean, uh, I'm surprised you'd say I I think it does have great value because I also think the body of Christ working together is that we we do need to be thinking about all things under you know the lordship of Christ and for the glory of God. And we need to be thinking about disability. We need to be thinking about that and also um, be helping, because I think it's a form of helping as well, isn't it? It's about helping us to think about how we live as humans made in the image of God, all, all humans made in the image of God, and how do we actually help one another to, to live as the body of Christ? I think that's the thing. Because to me, what's very helpful about this whole conversation is we're not just talking about us as individuals. You know, if we mm. believe in the profoundity of Jesus is the head and we are the body, then what does the body look like? You know, and how can we help the body? And no matter who we are, whether it's um, challenges of disability or wealth or a whole host of things, you know, poverty, it's a whole host of things that we need to explore. And and, and that's, that's exactly what you're saying in that. And I think, and I'm sure you... You would uh, agree. I mean, it's just a constant learning, isn't it, in terms of what that looks like in with reality? Yeah. If, if, so, if we do this in five years' time, maybe maybe I'll give completely different answers. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, uh, yeah. I, I mean, so that leads me lastly to our, our ask my last question, which is, um, where do you regarding autism in the church? You know, what what do you think this? What do you think this could look like? in five, 10 years time in terms of where we're at, you know, will, will there be things that we do differently or do you hope that things will be done differently? What, what would you like to see happen in the next five, 10 years? Yeah, I, I definitely hope for change. Um, I mean, 
what we were talking about, like like the community not always being aware of uh, autistic people in in different ways of being in the world that might actually create barriers in order to oh barriers to to enter the worship space even and then, and then participate in worship, let alone taking leadership positions. I think that all needs to change, and so I hope that through the work of the sense, but through the work of many others who are, who are uh, doing this kind of work through, through your own work, uh, that, that we will have more awareness of yeah. diversity, whether that's autistic diversity, whether that's other diversity, and that we, that churches will learn not to see that as disorders, deficits, or lesser way of beings, as it were, mm. which, which implicitly often is the case, but that actually, Everyone becomes that that valued member in the body of Christ. That's that's what I'm really hoping for. And in a sense, I hope that we don't need to have this conversation anymore. Um, not in the way that we are having it. So mm-hmm. I, I hope that we don't need to have the conversation in terms of what, what does the church need to learn? Um, because they don't know yet. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't mean that in an arrogant way, but I mean research research is is, is quite clear that a lot of churches are not really aware of, of the challenges and the gifts of autism. But I would hope that the conversation is then still about autism because, you know, it's a thing and that is not going to go away. So we, we need to keep talking about it, but that the conversation has changed and that we can talk much more on about, you know, the gifts and the values and 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 and, and hopefully to conclude that, you know, everyone is yeah. that member of the body of Christ that really belongs. And is really valued for who they are and yeah, yeah i hope that the conversation um, will change in that way yeah so so just as 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 we <laughs> classic preacher you thought we're closed but we're gonna we're really close now <laughs> is i just wondered in this is as part of our conversation you know where are the autistic voices in this conversation so how much do you hear as academics from people who are autistic within the church and if not then how can that happen and, and, and the same i guess for church and you know, how do we how do we help those who are autistic actually be really saying well this is what life is actually like for me in church or um this is what i think about theology this is what i think about um church you know i mean so, so do you have any answers to that or any comments on that yeah, if, if I understand your your question correctly, it's it's like how 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 are we making sure that the autistic voices are being heard in yeah. in conversations like this in uh, in, in other yeah. conversations and um, <laughs> it starts by listening really. I mean that that, yeah. that is a simple answer, but it's, it's maybe deceptively simple because listening yeah. is exactly what has not been happening uh, largely, and so for example to give. An example for, for me personally, the way I do my research is through interviewing, through participant observation. It's, and it's because I'm a practical theologian and, and we like doing that. And yeah. um, and so it, everything that I've been saying is really based on, on my reading of the literature and, and listening closely to autistic people. Um, and hopefully I've represented their views well, although they, they will have different views, of course. I mean, there's not one single yeah. view. Yeah. Um, so for me, it's it's in research methods, but it's in, for churches. It's um, it's the simple step to you know, you know, if if you know that there is an autistic member in your church, then then why not go to them and ask them what 
you know, welcome. Um, what can we do for you? And how can you, what can you do for us? Um, mm. what, what is your place here in the body of Christ? And just listen. And, and if that's difficult, then, then well, listen, try harder. Uh, I mean, yeah. don't give up. Um, because what I've seen in my research, what people have taught me is that people give up quite soon. Maybe because social interaction is not always straightforward for a non-autistic person with an autistic person. Um, but but don't give up. Autistic people, yeah. the ones that I've spoken, there's quite a lot of them, they, they long to belong to the community. They long for friendship. They long to be you know, included in the community and to participate just like anyone else. And so we need to listen to, to their voices. Mm. I mean, there's a lot more that we can say probably, but... No, that yeah. sounds a really helpful point to end and definitely something that we can all put into practice and be practical theologians together. There you go. There you go, <laughs> See? <laughs> Well, it's been great chatting with you. If people want to find out more about the work that you're involved in, they want to find out uh, about the courses that you offer, um, where, where can they go to find that out? Uh, go to the website of the University of Aberdeen, type in um, theology and autism or theology and disability, and you will land on a couple of relevant pages. So we have our own pages with the Centre for Autism and Theology. So if you go Google Centre for Autism and Theology, you will land on our pages. If you Google uh, postgraduate diploma or PG dip in theology and disability, you should hopefully arrive at our pages as well. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, in, in at the University of Aberdeen website, you can uh, use the search bar and you'll find yeah. it, no doubt. Brilliant. Okay, and uh, we also have a Facebook page for The Little Breakfast and Twitter too. So if you've got any comments or any questions um, to either of us, then please feel free to do that. Um, this, this will be on YouTube and also on Apple and Spotify as well. So if you're listening on that, you want to raise any questions or comments, then go to our probably our Facebook page. Find us uh, The Little Breakfast on Facebook. It's probably the best place to do that. Uh, and I can also pass stuff on to Leon if you've got any direct questions that you don't want publicly to. Um, thanks so much for taking the time to join us um, today. And uh, I hope that um, well, it's not too too cold up in Aberdeen. <laughs> You're probably used to it by now. <laughs> um, well, more than, it's far I can get used to the cold. I am used to it now. But uh, yeah, thanks a lot for having me, Clive. It's, uh, it's a privilege. Yes. It's really great. Yes. Thank you so much. It's great, great. It's great to chat with you. Thanks.